0: Hello, Well Women. In celebration of Black History Month, I want to highlight past episodes featuring the work and lives of Black women. We'll link to many of them at the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash 328 show. But I'd like to mention just a few here now that really stand out let's see back in episode 265 the urgency for equal rights with carol jenkins an amazing conversation with really an icon in women's rights Uh, she was the president and ceo of the era coalition for women's equality which aims to amend the u.s constitution to include the equal rights amendment something that many Americans believe already happened. You can check her out at wellwomanlife.com slash 265 show. And we'll link to all of these that I'm mentioning in the show notes for this show at wellwomanlife.com slash Three two eight show the next uh, episode that I want to call out here is uh, with Dr. Marissa G. Franco, "How to Make and Keep Friends." She's the author of New York Times bestselling book *Platonic*. We had a great conversation. I urge you to check that one out. That's number two nine eight. And I have to mention Erica Hines here. When Black Women Thrive at Work, episode three oh three. She is the author of *Black Women Thriving*, a report and call to action, which seeks to define what it means for black women to thrive in the workplace and determine how they find joy, success, and stability at work. Erica is an amazing researcher and advocate and leader. And you can check out that conversation at wellwomanlife.com slash 303 show. The last interview I want to mention before we get to our show for today is uh, Leading Inside the Beltway with Dr. C. Nicole Mason. That's number 245. C. Nicole Mason is the past president and chief executive officer of the Institute for Women's Policy Research, a leading voice on pay equity, economic policy, and research impacting women. Definitely check that out. That's number 245. Now for today's show, I'm so excited because I got to talk to Viva Asmalash. She's a passionate workplace consultant and certified inclusion strategist specializing in forward. Thinking employee engagement, equity-centered strategic planning, values-driven branding, and critical team conversations. Viva's professional purpose is to create environments where people feel truly seen and are inspired to be their best and most authentic selves. She often facilitates inclusive executive group coaching, delivers engaging uh, keynotes and panel discussions, and crafts organization-wide education experiences for different clients that she works with. And she's the co-founder of Liberation Labs. She uh, has designed trainings. She co-authored, which is a big part of what we're going to talk about in the interview. She co-authored the 2023 Harvard Business Review article called Creating Psychological Safety for Black Women at your company, a must read, and we'll link to that in the show notes. And as a first generation Eritrean American, Viva leverages a unique lifelong perspective on race, gender, culture, belonging, privilege, and education access. With this lens, her breadth of experience, She takes deep care in helping teams evolve their people and inclusion ethos and efforts, all in the hopes of planting seeds for collective liberation and joy. So we talk about a lot on this show. I'm really happy to air this during Black History Month. And as a reminder, the Well Woman Show is thankful for support from Collective Action Strategies, a consulting firm that supports systemic change so that women and families thrive. And by the Well Woman Life Movement challenge quiz at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. As always, all the links and information are at wellwomanlife.com slash 328 show. I'm speaking with Viva Asmalash this morning. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Giovanna. Good to be here.
0: It's great to have you on the show. I am really excited to dig into your work and what you have been doing lately. Um, but I want to first start, Viva, with just having you tell listeners, who are you in the world today?
1: Oh my gosh, how much time do you have? No. <laughs> I'll try to keep that succinct. Yes. Well, um, first thing to know, I guess, is that I'm a I'm a brand new mom um, to a four-month-old baby named River, who um, is just a joy and a light. So that's Part of who I am. Um, Outside of that, I am a first generation Eritrean American uh, woman living here in Northern California. And my work is sort of the intersection of a lot of different areas, which I know we're going to talk more about, but things like people operations, employer branding, inclusion and equity. And uh, personally speaking, I'm also um, a a big uh, mental health advocate in my uh, community, sat on the county mental health board. So lots of different things. Uh also have a lifelong love of the arts and fashion and cooking. So mm.
0: yeah. lots going on there. Great. Okay. And um, I love that you started with um, identifying as a new mom, because that is such a big part of your identity right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes as professional women, at least, I don't know, maybe it's not so much anymore, but at least when I was having kids like a, a decade or so ago, it was like, it, it sort of had to take this a second seat. You know, it was like mm-hmm. you had to present as your professional self and then like, oh yeah, by the way, I have, I'm having kids and I have this baby and I have to kind of work that into everything and figure it all out. And it was very much like a, a secondary thing. So I love that you started with that.
1: Yes. And honestly, part of that, I I don't know if other people can relate to this, but part of that is because I almost have to constantly remind myself too, because it does feel so new. And I had, I'm having my baby a little bit later, um, than maybe other folks out there. So, uh, it's sort of like, oh yes, I am actually a new mom, um, as well as all of these other things that I'm deeply passionate about. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, It it's yeah, it's just it's an important part of our identity as Mm -hmm. as we as we take that on. Um so Viva, you have been working. Um I want I want you to tell uh listeners a little bit about your work. And and the way I came across you was through your um Harvard Business Review article last year, creating psychological safety for black women at your company. And um I want to hear. Sort of how that came about, and and what you what you're trying to you know what change you're trying to make with that.
1: Yes, Yes. well, thank you. You want to talk about yeah? Yeah, thank you for making making the space for for us to discuss this. So, um, first things first, I'll I'll share um, in terms of my career, it's taken a lot of twists and turns, but most of my experience in the last fifteen years or so has been in the um, recruitment marketing, employer brand, employee engagement, leadership training and development space, um, and then in the last several years, sort of deepened my my expertise and my focus in the areas of inclusion, equity, identity, belonging. Um, these being some areas that I've always been passionate about and had the the opportunity to sort of dig my um, dig my heels into a little bit further in terms of projects and and areas at work. So that's sort of how I evolved into uh, the work that I do now. Um, Most of that work is through um, a consultancy that I co-founded called Liberation Labs. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about that and the work Mm. that we do there. Um, And then in terms of the article that I co-wrote, I've got to give a shout out to my co-author, Agatha Agbenobi, who um, we were connected on LinkedIn and just sort of found that we were having conversations around the same things when it comes to psychological safety and identity. And that's sort of what sparked the article, you know, often, these, these types of concepts that come up in the workplace, sort of like trend topics in the workplace, um, they surface there, and they gain attention, you know, from dominant groups. And then those of us with marginalized identities, you know, we often can really struggle to see our our own stories, our own lenses incorporated into that, you know, quote unquote mainstream sort of dialogue, right? That actually, and that mainstream dialogue ends up actually being what informs the change in these spaces, right? So, um, you know, a few examples of that might be, you know, Brene Brown's, you know, work on vulnerability, for example, mm-hmm. right? Or, um, you know, a while back, Cheryl Sandberg's book, LinkedIn, or LinkedIn, excuse me, Lean In yeah. Uh, You know, so we hear these topics and it's like, okay, well, well, what what about us? Right. Like there it it is so nuanced when it comes to identity. And when we say identity, yes, of course, for black women in terms of race and gender. um, But all all sorts of identities can add, um, you know, different layers of complexity to these types of conversations. So that's sort of where and I and I want to say that and say that, you know, we can respect the efforts of those works that I mentioned, right? For starting the conversation, for example, when it comes to team psychological safety, Amy Edmondson has done, you know, incredible work in terms of um, raising this this dialogue and and her research at Harvard, et cetera. Um, and we're just saying, sort of, it's allowed this this opening of a door for us to say, okay, great, thank you for setting this foundation, and let us build upon it by by saying how we interpret it or how we experience it and why it's different in terms of the historical context, right? That we need to be aware of, et cetera. So- um, Yeah, because
0: there's a lot, sometimes a lot missing. There's a whole perspective and lived experience that's missing from some of those works.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's really what the article wanted to spark dialogue around, right? And so we sort of, Agatha and I wrote this article setting out to do, you know, two primary things. First and foremost, we wanted to validate the experiences of Black women, right? That was like, we wanted Black women to see this and say, I feel seen, I feel heard. And I feel like somebody is is pinpointing um, what I haven't had, you know, the opportunity, the space, the energy to actually name for, for myself, right? So that was the first piece. And then the second piece was really wanting to provide organizations with the proper context and concrete actions to nurture psychological safety on their team, uh, on their teams in new ways. Right. Um, and so that was, we wanted to give some, and when folks have a chance to, to check out the article, they'll see there are some really concrete tactics that people can, you know, start to employ, um, uh, right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, that's sort of in a nutshell, um, uh, yeah, how, how the article came about and how these conversations are continuing and, Agatha and I are not the only black women out in the in the world um raising conversations like this. Um, in fact, two people we interviewed for our article, Erica Hines and Minda Hartz, both are, are folks whose work I want to amplify as well.
0: Yeah. And actually, we've had Erica Hines on the show here. Um
1: awesome. Before. She's incredible. She's incredible. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And when she uh published her big study on um black women in the workplace that (laughs) was when i think we had her on the show and talked a a lot uh, about that with her and um so thank you for for lifting those other um uh, authors and works up yeah um so viva you talked about some concrete tactics and i want to hear about some of those because i think um you know when we when we look at sort of what what can we actually do um what are some of the concrete sort of actions that we can take? What are the first steps? Um, Sometimes it gets to be a little overwhelming or like, where do I start and and all of that kind of thing. So do you want to share a few of those?
1: Um, I'd be happy to. Yeah, And so one of the things that we also wanted to do in the article was really put the onus, the focus on what organizations can do, right. In terms of changing systems and to a little bit lesser degree, the focus on the individual actions. And I'll talk about mm-hmm. why in a second. But in terms of what organizations can do, um, <clears throat> let's see, for the sake of time, I'll leave it to sort of like three of our standouts, or one of, mm-hmm. I think, the, some of the important ones to, to focus on. And the first is um, really making sure that our organizations are focusing on and talking about changing systems, changing actual systems and actual processes and not just people on a one-to-one basis, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Far too often we see these efforts that are about, you know, I always say listening and learning, listening and learning. And it feels like we're on this constant loop of just listening and learning, right? These sessions (laughs) are, you know, shifting an individual's mindset um, and the beliefs uh, or or behaviors of just individual people. Mm -hmm. And that's that's not the way right we need to we need to kind of can have that as a foundation but we need to help get people and get systems into into um evolving right Mm -hmm. so standards and practices right we need to have um you know moving it really from the micro to the macro so that's that's a big uh, focus of, of the article and it talks about things like um, how to do an audit of your um, HR, you know, um, systems, for example, how to start to integrate uh, inclusive management practices and equitable management practices in manager training and development, right? For Versus at the outset, r- really early on in people's careers to start to give them those tools versus, you know, decades later, folks that are in their career and they still, this is like the first time they're ever thinking about how their identities play into how they're how mm-hmm. they manage or supervise their folks, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the types of focus on systems I'm talking about. Um a second and this is just like brass tacks, like just say the thing which is pay equity mm-hmm. um really important, so performing a pay audit um and working towards pay equity, I don't want to oversimplify that. That's really hard work, it's complex work, but if you if you don't start it, yeah. uh you know, it 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 just becomes that much harder, right? It ha- you have to begin somewhere, so that's the, the another um component to it and and by the way, while it's messy and while it can take time, if you aren't even willing to do that, can you really say that you're committed to equity as an organization or as an employer, right? Um, yeah, so that yeah, that's part. and then I'll just say this last one, which is um real protection. I, I sort of mentioned this earlier, but you know, it's not enough just to say, and I work, I spent many years working on employer brand. That's sort of my, that's been my jam, my bread and butter for a really long time. But it's not just enough to put on your website that you're an inclusive employer. If then, you know, you have, uh, you know, an employee that comes to you, let's say it's a black woman or somebody of an, another marginalized identity and says, I'm having these challenges with my manager. And your knee jerk reaction is to protect the manager consistently, mm-hmm. right? Then you can't, you know, you have to really hold yourself to the standards that you're talking about. So, trauma informed HR policies that really clearly outline what steps are going to be taken and will be taken if somebody's safety and right to thrive is is breached, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and really instilling that sort of like trust, um, I think is an important component. So I'll pause there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, such uh, great information and. I know there's a whole lot more in the article. We'll link to the article in the show notes for this uh, episode. Um and I just want to say Viva, you know, the reason I was so um interested in your in the article is because I was um t- taking some of that information and and trying to integrate it and apply it into a program that I run which is the family-friendly business award where we recognize employers for all of the uh, things that they are doing including pay equity and and paid leave and flexible scheduling and, and a whole host of things and um and so really trying to to integrate some of those things and making sure you know kind of double checking like hmm are we doing that and and mm-hmm. and you know how are how are we expecting employers to be doing that and so uh, it I was help that. was really helpful in kind of you know double the checking and then adding and and so it it's been great. Um,
1: and I'd and I love to are do- willing to ask those questions, right? Because yeah. even, I think that's the other mistake people can make, which is a really easy trap to fall into, which is I'm a leader. So I'm just supposed to know. I'm just supposed to know how to do this. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to mm-hmm. shine a light on something, an area that I have a knowledge gap in, especially when it's framed as being this like basic human you know, basic human decency, right? If you're just a good person, then you don't have any tendencies or any knowledge gaps in any of these areas. And we know that that's just not true, right? This work has to be done in community. It has to take, you know, leaders saying, hey, you know what? Here, giving transparency into what their journey of learning has been around this. Um, and I think we'll all just be so much better off. Um, most, m- most, especially uh, the most marginalized of us will be better off once people start talking more openly about missteps that they've had and how they're trying to to remedy them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um thank you for that. And Viva, I want to ask you about um sort of DEI in in general pr- the programs in the workplace. It, it seems like we you know saw this real uptick in 2020, 2021 of employers saying, "Oh yes, we're on board. We're going to fund, you know, Mm-hmm. A, a DEI practitioner, or or maybe they did even more than that, and actually provided other support for that person. Right. Um, but now we're seeing a sort of c- drawing back of mm-hmm. um, of some of those programs and and those resources mm-hmm. in a, in a sort of a quiet way. It's almost like um, a quiet quitting of the of the DEI sector um yeah. n- not of the practitioners who who want to be doing the work but of the leadership that's sort mm-hmm. of like allocating the the funds so what do you say about that right now
1: oh yeah i just have to like name what's happening in my body just as you hmm. said that which is um just a lot uh, just it brings up a lot of A lot of stuff for me, and I know I'm not alone in that. um, In that, like, we had this like sort of collective hope that the the tide was finally starting to turn in the way that we needed it to, and then it can feel like we have this like constant, you know, uh, slide back or regression. And first, let me just say that the type of person that I am, I believe that we are much closer to liberation for everyone than it may seem. Um, I know it can be really disheartening, obviously, with all of the things happening in the world, that we have so many examples otherwise. Um, But I believe that we are collectively getting to that breakthrough, that something better exists and we are on the cusp of it if we just continue to hold ourselves and one another lovingly accountable. Mm. Um, So I just want to start there and say because it's helpful for me <laughs> um, yes, yeah. To, to frame my next thought, which is that, you know, I think a lot of it comes, it comes down to a couple of things, right? But the biggest one is for me, what I see with my clients and and just conversations that I've had over the last several years is that I think we're missing the resilience and commitment on an organizational front. And so what tends to happen is that, you know, we saw this, we saw people making commitments, right? People sort of of saying that they were going to invest X amount of dollars and Mm -hmm. opening new roles and all of these things without... um, And so maybe they... Let's give an example. Maybe they started off with a couple of uh, training sessions, which I even hate that word, training. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really about overall education and engagement versus... Leaving a training on bias and thinking that you have all the answers after that, right? Right. But people have, right. But people, let's say, uh, you know, uh, a, a team had a couple of sessions that were at the outset probably pretty poorly communicated about, right? No real, um, and let's see, uh, clarity on what the organization was striving to do, what commitments they were trying to make. So it's just sort of, let's have these sessions. And the sessions are really centering the comfort of dominant groups and the learning dominant groups, right? right. And black folks or other racialized or other marginalized folks are made to sit there in the same sessions with everybody else with a session that's really about the learning of or uh, learning for white people, right? Let's yeah let's, And then nothing really happens. People kind of feel bad in the session generally speaking, and then leave. And then there's no real connection or commitment to ultimately getting people to a place to understand why does this matter in my role? How can I start to shift the way that I think about things in my day-to-day job, right? And so these few sessions happen. We don't get people to the place that we ultimately want to, which takes a lot of time. You can't do that in just a couple of sessions. And then we say, oh, that there weren't really the results that we wanted to see and it caused maybe more confusion or more harm than we wanted. And so the efforts get abandoned altogether in the midst of all of the other emerging business priorities. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a lot of times that's how it, it loses steam is that, and that really does start with the, what are we, who are we prioritizing and who are we protecting with the actions that we're taking even the, in terms of the sessions that we're designing. Right. Um, so there's a lot in there, but I think that that's, uh, that's kind of the misstep that people are making. And a lot of times, you know, look, I don't want to, and I even get uncomfortable when people say, use the word expert for whatever, that's not a word I like have a lot of comfort with uh, Mm. myself, which again, we can probably unpack that another time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But at any rate, I, I think the reason why, part of why I have some discomfort around that is because we're talking about people's identities. There is no bigger topic on the planet than who people are, right? So it's understandable that the topic does feel so massive for leaders that it gets, it does get messy. It does get uncomfortable. And then there's, there is a um, lack of a line. People are seeking You know, consensus or 100% alignment on what should happen amongst even a core leadership team. And then when they don't have that, they're like, "Mm, this is causing conflict and we don't like conflict and we just like to be nice here. So let's talk about something else. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All, all really good points. And I I feel like we could do a whole really deep dive into this. Um, But I think for the purposes of, this show today, this is a good sort of introduction. And hopefully people will go and and read the article and engage um at the level w- where they can and and are. And I know you have um a, a lot to say about moving toward action and right. and really um uh making sure that, you know, as we're addressing systems, so I, I also work at the systems level, mm-hmm. within the systems we have individuals who can take action.
1: Yes yes, and yeah and I, and let me talk about that for a second. thank you for for starting to surface that um individuals, one of the most important things that that people can do is really you know, we've heard a lot about microaggressions in the last couple of years, especially, so really learning to spot and respond to microaggressions as they are happening. Mm-hmm. and I know that that is really a challenge for people. So a lot of the work that um you know we do at Liberation Labs is helping people to process why that's so hard in the moment and start to overcome that, right? Um, One of the biggest things that I can say for people to do on an individual level is really reflecting on past situations where they didn't intervene and unpacking for themselves why that was, right? What Mm -hmm. got in your way? How can you curb that in the future? Um, You know, I, I always tell people, if it's a matter of like, what do I say? And you don't, you know, you think you have to launch into this like monologue about all of the reasons why it was wrong, what that person did or said. Just remembering a couple of short, easy to remember phrases mm. interrupt the moment. Sometimes is really all, all you need, right? Um, actually, can we pause for a moment? And I'm, I'm just processing what you said to Janet, right? That even in of itself can be just enough, just that little bit of a speed bump. Um, can give people really a chance to reflect and resolve um, this during that moment or at a later time, right?
0: Yes. I love that. Just very clear, short sentence that you can say in that moment where you just do need a pause.
1: Yes. And you all can't see it right now, but I sometimes... When I think about this, I put my finger up like a hold on a second and I actually close my eyes for a hold on a second. I'm just processing what you just said. I just want to pause us for a second. Mm. Even just that sort of like body language, I think can be um, can be useful. You don't have to launch into the whole discussion about it. um, Just flagging that it was a tense moment, an uncomfortable moment, a moment that potentially caused somebody harm, I think is all you all you kind of need to do in this in the moment to to shine a light on it. So that's one thing that I want to say. And then I I talk a lot about values in my in my work. I think that getting crystal clear on what our individual values are and hmm. how we are going to uphold them is really important. Like I think that sometimes you can ask somebody what their values are and they'll name, you know, 20 things and While that's great, right? There are a lot of things that are important to us in terms of the way that we live our lives. Your values are really those core things that you are going to adhere to even when the road gets rocky. And I actually, especially when the road gets rocky and when it comes to decision-making, those are the things that you're going to prioritize in terms of how you move through the world. So you probably don't have 20 core values, right? But getting clear on what are those three to five things that I really want to stand by and that are deeply important to me and inform the way that I make decisions in the world and how I build relationships in the world. And yeah. then thinking about how you want to uphold them. for I, I use the example, you know, for me, kindness is one of them, right? And for a long time, I thought that being kind meant like not rocking the boat, right? Mm. And I had to get to this place where I had to shift what kindness meant to me and and who I wanted to, who was it most important? to be kind to who most was most in need of my kindness right and why does honesty have to be at odds with with kindness right and right. being clear and communicating is also a form of being kind so you yeah. think that that's important too just getting really clear on your values and knowing okay even when it gets hard these are the things that I'm saying that I'm going to stick to and and that's what it means to to live a life of integrity right
0: Yes, I was just going to I was going to bring it back to integrity actually. I love that you just said that because I often say in in my community and when I work with women leaders, you know, yeah, what are you know, remembering your values and then are your words, like literally the words coming out of your mouth and your actions in line with those values? Because then you're in integrity. And usually there's a lot of discomfort and and suffering when you're out of integrity. And, and just noticing that and being aware of that can be a huge step.
1: Exactly. Because you know, there's this. Um, I, I talk a lot to people about like the myth of it being a a risk to be an advocate, a vocal advocate, right? And how it's actually a risk of if we don't. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's a risk if we don't because we're living a life that's out of alignment with who we want to be and what we say our values are. And isn't that the scarier thing to get to the end of your life and look back and say, I actually wasn't true to, you know, what I wanted my values to be. And I think that it's okay for this to look different ways on different people, right? Not everyone is an advocate or an ally or, you know, a sponsor in the same ways. I actually love um, for folks, in case this resource is helpful, the Building um, Movement Project mm-hmm. has the social social change ecosystem map, and it talks about all of the types of roles that are really necessary to make social change. And that's that there are ten different roles, right? Because it look can look at least ten different ways depending on who you are, what your gifts are, and and what your your talents or experiences are. So I would I would definitely recommend that people check that out too. So okay. social change ecosystem map.
0: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll link to that as well in the show notes. Um, so for this episode, and, um, I'm speaking with Viva Asmalash. She's the co author of the Harvard Business Review, uh, article that we've been talking about called Creating Psychological Safety for Black Women at your company. And we'll be right back. If you're in burnout or in major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The causes of all our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and external supports. Our Well Woman Life framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly start living your life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. We're back on the Well Woman Show with Viva Asmalash. And Viva, we're going into a shorter segment called Superpowers for Success. I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. Um, and. and uh, this allows listeners to get to know you a little bit more um, and also have get some takeaways from you about your leadership and your life. And the first question I want to ask you is, what does success in life mean for you?
1: Um, Great question. And I, for me, I think it's really tied to what we were just talking about, which is really being in alignment with what my values are. And my values are, are really centered around justice, uh, kindness, as I mentioned. Humor is deeply important to me. Um, and so that is what I consider success, right? And I also, the, the other piece of this is that, you know, there is no one out in the world that can do what I can do right? And that is true for every single person that is listening to this. It's like, I really believe that we each have an innate gift that that no one will, will um, you know, a- a exemplify, embody in the same way that we will. And so I feel successful when I feel like I am in, in alignment with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And uh, when did you know you were really good at what you do?
1: That is a really good question. When did I know that I was really good at what I do? I, so years ago, I had a role where, um, I worked in high schools every single day. And if anybody has ever been in a high school classroom for an extended amount of time, um, you know what a daunting task that is to hold the attention of uh, 30 teenagers who all have cell phones in their pockets and all all of that stuff. (laughs) Um, But I was really nervous. I mean, this was like I was in my mid-20s at the time, and I was really nervous to be up in front of this group. And I remember that at the end of my presentation, a a student came up to me, and I, I thought it was a student that was super disengaged the entire time. And he came up to me and he said, I will never forget what you shared with us today. And I have never felt like school was for me or that I was good at school or that I had a future beyond this. I never thought much about it, but I will, I'm, I'm going to take action on what you talked about today. Mm -hmm. And I, so a couple of things came to light for me there, which was that first, we never, you never really know how you might be impacting someone. It may not seem like it in the moment. Um, and the, I also knew that I could hold the attention of a group, which felt and still feels very, um, it, it feels like I'm in my power. Um, and for somebody who spent a lot of their childhood, not feeling like they were in their own power, uh, that was a really liberating and uplifting moment for me. And, um, and it has continued in different ways since then, but that was a moment that stands out.
0: Mm. Love that. Okay. And can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being so that you can do everything you do in the world?
1: Absolutely. Um I'm not sure if people are familiar or you, Giovanna, are familiar with the term um, HSP, highly sensitive person, which is mm-hmm. a a great topic for and maybe another episode that you have. But I identify as an HSP and what I have learned to do in the last several years is really ask others around me for. For what I need, right? So I'll give you, um, I'll give you an example of that. Um, It's it, it sometimes it's challenging for me in meetings one on one with people, uh, to be really clear about what I want to say, I, I tend to be a processor, because mm-hmm. of this, you know, part of my identity. And so I often will ask people in advance of the meeting, um, can you send me anything I need to review in advance, just so I can make sure that I am looking at this from all angles. And have the time that I need to 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 be most present and to be the most um, yeah helpful collaborator, right? So there are lots of things like that about being in a twenty percent at least of the population um, is is HSPs, and it just means we process information differently. So uh, the that I think has been super helpful for me is right, just asking for what I need to be the best version of myself.
0: Yeah, love that. That's something that is. Actually, really hard to do. So, um, being aware that you need to do that and then being able to do it is is awesome. Um, so, Viva, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time?
1: Yeah, it's related to this um, to to being an HSP. Is that uh, part of what HSPs do is that we are constantly absorbing the nuances in the environment or in the context that other people miss. And so at first I thought it was, and if it's mismanaged, right, it can feel like this. um, It can feel like a weight, like you're somebody that just overanalyzes everything and um, tends to harp on, you know, you know, Giovanna was making uh, a a strange facial expression to me the other day. I don't think she likes me anymore. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it could be, it can manifest in that way if you're not like mindful or channeling it in the right way. Um, But what, It helps me to do now. What I understand is that it helps me to see connections that again, so many other people uh, tend to miss Um, connections on how people are responding in different spaces, the experiences that they're having, um, why they may or may not be taking action around certain things. Right. I'm able to pick up on all those things. And so that's always been there. That's part of me. I was born as an HSP. Right. Mm. Um, But really starting to shift my own thinking around it. is has been an important part of my journey yeah and i bet
0: i bet there was a a transformation also of like in the way that you think about your own identity as an hsp like that that you know it it may have been a negative for a long time as a child or as a young adult and now you've you know come to really yeah
1: Yeah, I got told, you know, you're too sensitive. You're thinking about things too much. You know, you're overanalyzing. There's no problem here when you think that there's a problem, right? Um, And I will say, um, shout out to Mimi Gordon. Mimi Gordon was uh, a manager that I had for many years and was a really pivotal mentor for me in my life. And when I would start to name something, she always wanted to know more about it. She would always say, tell me more about that, right? Mm. So that helped us to get to a place of like it ultimately helped to make our work better because my quote unquote hunches things that i just thought were i didn't know why i felt a certain way about something ended up to be right when we looked at the data around it mm-hmm. so those were um yeah some just really uh, formative um, experiences for me
0: yeah absolutely and just to say many times if not all of the time i want to say our superpowers um Really did actually stem from something that was that we considered a negative, you know, when we were younger. And so, for listeners, if you if you're like, I don't know what my superpower is, you know, think think about what uh, what you you know have been criticized for, what you mm-hmm. are always trying to change. You're like, oh, I wish I could change that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. When you get to a when you get to a point where you're like, no, that's who I am, and that's actually a positive thing yeah. for me and and you take this burden off of of wanting to change yourself um yes, around that exactly. it's just a
1: mindset shifting our mindset around it right and that's not to yeah. say like like you mentioned it's not to say that we can't take constructive feedback and try to make ourselves better and all those good things but at the same time if there's something that feels so central to who we are let's learn the right way to channel that right. um, i think is is part of it and This thing about, you know, seeing those connections that other people miss, that's what has been an an integral part of my work at Liberation Labs, right? Because a a lot of, especially consultancies that may focus on DEI, I think the challenge that a lot of companies have is that they're not learning how to really weave uh, principles of equity and inclusion into the fabric of their organization. Like, how do we take it from this siloed thing that we're talking about Mm-hmm. and really start to practically integrate it. And so it's it's so helpful to me when we talk about being an HSP to like help organizations learn how to do that in ways that seem organic and feel really seamless and cohesive. So it's it's part of what we do there too. Oh, nice. Okay.
0: A uh, couple last questions. We're running out of time. I just want to ask you, um, what advice would you give your younger self like 20 years
1: ago? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. Don't date that guy. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) that again is a whole other topic. Uh, But yeah, no, I think one of the things that I will um, point out is really being conscious of how I talk to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I think a lot of people are talking about now, which I appreciate like this this is coming to the surface more. but um, my my baby, you know, she has one of those tummy time mirrors, you know, like where she kind of like looks at herself mm-hmm. and started telling her I've started telling her, um, that is the most important friend you're ever gonna have. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just want to start ingraining that in her now and to know that she is a complete, powerful, Loved being just as she is, right? And and so that she starts to mirror that back for herself. I think that 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 is something that I wish I had done for yet twenties. I mean, just even from from childhood. And I think there are a lot of reasons why I or other people don't, right? Like especially women. I think in general are always like conditioned, right, to cater to others and to seek outside. resources or power versus like tapping into who who we are inside and what we can offer ourselves and learning how to yeah. practice that. And so that's the one thing I would say to myself is like, yeah, you know, you are the most important friend you're ever gonna have.
0: Love that. Yeah. Accessing our own power too. Um great. Thank you. And Viva, do you identify as a feminist?
1: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, that's. It. Uh, I think that that my own learning has expanded around that, and I think it's really important to understand the true the roots of feminism, right? Um, uh, the the Black queer women and femmes who who really um, sparked mm-hmm. and built so much of the momentum and dialogue that we see out in the world today. Uh, so I absolutely identify as a feminist. I'm not sure how much more you want to know about that, but
0: <laughs> well, that's I think for now that's that's enough. Just whatever you wanted to say about that, and then just the last question um, is, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand?
1: That is a, a great question. So, with a four-month-old, right, <laughs> it's, it's been a little bit tricky. Um, but what I will say is that there is a book that I cannot wait uh, to come in the mail, and it is by Doctor Uche Blackstock. And I want to make sure that I read the title correctly, but it's um, Doctor Uche Blackstock is really working to shine a light on um, racism in healthcare. And so because of the experiences that I have had caring um, for an elderly parent, um, you know, it, it's just really critical that we are thinking about at the very baseline how racism impacts us um, from, from a health standpoint and how that's passed down in the form of intergenerational trauma that people experience within healthcare. And so uh, Dr. Uche Blackstock's book is called Legacy. And um, yeah, it's just, she, she's also the founder and CEO of an organization called Advancing Health Equity. Um, so yes, Legacy of Black Physician Reckons with Racism in Medicine is something I'm absolutely excited to read, looking forward Ooh, to. Oh,
0: love that. Okay, thank you for that. Um, we always love to share what our guests are reading because our listeners like to know and like to go and, and read the same things. So thank you for that. And um Viva Asmalash, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for making space, Giovanna. I loved it and uh, excited to talk again soon one day.
0: That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman Life, head over to wellwomanlife.com. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week, so be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.